like is the Sundays when I have to try and keep up with the drummer. <laughs> That's what I like. Now, here's what I want to know. Who, whoever said that, you know, praise was not a sport? Whoever said that, you know, praise and music and band and stuff like that was not a sport? I don't understand it. See, here's, I don't, whoever created that false dichotomy between, you know, jocks and, and, and music, uh, can I use that word on the platform? You did, you did. <laughs> so here's what I think before we pray. I want you guys to step here so you can pray with me. Here's what I think. I think every athlete in this church should be on the praise team. Does nobody else think this with me? <laughs> I think every athlete in this church ought to be on the praise team because even if they can't play an instrument, they got lungs. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So anyway, we're going to pray in just a second. Before I do, I want to say one word about Freedom Sunday, which is 4th of July. 4th of July is on Sunday this year. It is our Freedom Sunday. And um, another special thing about that, besides, besides the fact that there will be an a, uh, inflatable slip and slide, besides that fact, it will have a surprise. We're going to have a surprise, a special freedom thing. And I don't know, I mean, it may, we may announce it beforehand, but it's going to be special on that day. I'm hoping that you will take that day and use it as a hook to invite friends, family, neighbors, those who are lost to come to church with you because there's a free picnic afterwards, free Freedom Sunday, free picnic afterwards. And for you, uh, you, know, we, you know, the food is free if you RSVP, but if you've got someone, it, just at, even at the last minute, whatever comes with you, don't worry about it, I will share my potato salad with them, and it'll be good. <clears throat> and uh, so, uh, so what is missions work? So you see up on the, on the screen there a slide of Pastor Tom Brockmeyer. They are in Zambia right now, and they are visiting the church and the school and some other places. And so here's what missions work is. It's a difficult 12-hour drive turning into a hazardous 17-and-a-half-hour drive with uh, road damage and detours into the bush. It is preaching two services at a church plant deep in the bush, two-hour drive down a walking trail, but to be encouraged by the five churches which came from surrounding villages. So Tom is preaching today at the church directly tied to the school and feeding center we support. Last five years, you have given over $200,000 because that's what it takes for us to adopt 120 kids a year to be able to school them, feed them, and a lot of times get them school supplies and uniforms, stuff like that as well, which we can do for just, what I forget what it is, $38 a month, I think. You know, $236 a year, but multiply that by 120, multiply that over five years, and praise the Lord for, for you know, the opportunity that we have. Uh, Tom sent me a text, said, you know, every minute of the day is full. God's given us the privilege to have a part in such a beautiful ministry in a difficult location. And I added, among the least reached at the uttermost part of the world, because when you got to rent a Land Rover, nothing else will make it and travel 17 and a half hours through the, through the bush, then that's kind of the uttermost. And praise the Lord, God gives us a chance to do that. Will you stand with me as we pray and thank the Lord for that and ask him for, uh, 
for our time together today. And, uh, you know, at the end of the last service, we kind of had many revival at the end of the last service. So I'm anxious to see what God will do today. I hope that will be your expectation is to pray for the same thing. So, uh, so yeah, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for praise team that has lifted our hearts up towards you. Uh, God, enough for no reason. That's uh, you desire for us to approach you today and to ask for your blessing because you want to speak to us. You want your, the power of your spirit to go through your word and connect heart to heart today. You want our mind connected to you. You want our hearts connected to each other. You want us involved in ministry and outreach and everything that you have for us to do as a church. And so, Lord, today, even today, speak to us. Lord, get us on your side. Father, we pray whatever you've got to do, get us on your side with you, active, involved. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name, because he is so worthy. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter, chapter 18. And we're entering a part of the book where, at this point, we should all be asking, well, what do I do now with what I know? I mean, we're nearing the end. The pandemic is passing. The mask of the beast is being removed. Uh, inflation is not taking down the economy yet. So what do I do with the truth that I know about the end? I mean, if I can see the signs of the second coming... Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Now, here's the answer, and this is our thesis for today's study. Since the kingdom is coming, you need to give your life today to start living for the king. In Revelation 17, we were introduced to mystery Babylon the Great. Babylon is human civilization. Civilization with humans at the center acting like they are God. That is exactly what we see in our society today. But at this point in Revelation, we're in the midst of a section that is telling us step by step how Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. And if the king is coming, you need to start right now living for the king. And in case you're not feeling me like I need you to yet, can I go ahead and give you an experiential explanation of the signs of the times? Number one, the stage is already set politically. With America as the new Rome, with our nemesis in Persia, whether that's Iran or ISIS or, or Al-Qaeda or, or the Taliban and the true rise of, of China and the kings of the east, Number two, the stage is set economically as the dollar is the one world reserve currency through the IMF. Number three, the stage is set technologically with computers and cameras and tracking devices and GPS. And number four, the stage will be set religiously because there is no sign that has to be seen before the church, the body of Christ, is raptured. And after that, what is left behind is really ready and ripe for the Antichrist to arrive. It is closer than you think and closer than the lost world knows. I mean, after all, they've, they've legitimized UFOs now. So all you need to do is read the news and you see, and this is our first point for study, you can see how the further a life, a family, a church, or a nation gets away from God, the more chaos arises in his place. And you know, it's a shame, but the chaos we see today is simply a natural result of rejecting God. 
And that means the chaos in your life and the chaos in the lives of people that you know and you love, it can be reversed with the acceptance of Jesus as Lord of your life. And by acceptance as Lord, that means you have to let him reign on a daily basis. I mean, you can accept him today in a crisis of getting saved, but that crisis has to result in a process of sanctification. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Now is the time for you to give everything you have to working on the rewards you will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. Because that is what matters for eternity. And if you're not yet a Christian by being born again, get saved today. If you are saved, then get moving with us in ministry. Starting August 21st, I will be teaching the book of 1 Corinthians because the 1 Corinthians is the Bible's handbook on ministry. Every person in this church should be concerned about that. It won't be on Sundays. It won't be part of our Sunday morning style of teaching. It will be Saturday mornings because it's part of our Bible Institute, but it is open to everyone. So I don't know where life has left you coming back from COVID and all. But this is your best chance, and who knows, maybe your last best chance to get to where you ought to be with God. So if you don't want to join us in the classroom down at Midtown where I'll be teaching from, you can join us here at Harvest in a viewing group, or you know what, you can take it online and make it your own midweek service. But I want you to know that book is a handbook on your ministry with us. So let me bring you back up to speed. It, 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 you know, let me explain the backstory for what we're going to see here, what we saw in chapter 17, getting ready in chapter 18. If you look at Genesis 11, verse 4, there on your handout, the Tower of Babel was the first attempt of humanity to build a world without God. Watch. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. So they built a city and they built a tower because they wanted a civilization and that required both spiritual and material aspects. Therefore, Babylon has a religious aspect, the tower calling down assistance from outer space, and an economic aspect, the city. Babylon represents civilization in its economy and its religion. So today, in Revelation 18, God reveals why he demolishes the economic wing of Babylon's existence. Anybody want to hear this, just say, get crack-a-lackin', Alan. Okay, and even if you're not a hipster, I will assume you are in a center. So first off, notice, if you will, and this is why bye-bye Babylon First reason, this is number one, because Babylon exercises global dominion through demonic assistance. Verse 1, Revelation 18, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. You know, one of the things that you notice as we go through this book of Revelation is how much angelic, demonic activity there is. And they are active in your life right now. We are just not as conscious of it. 
Plus, the Holy Spirit is a little more present now than he will be then because of believers in the body of Christ. And so that, you know, that, that kind of helps take care of that some. Uh, but once the church visible is removed from planet Earth at the rapture, then the spiritual will become very visible but unstable, as we have been seeing right here. Verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. There's the principalities and powers uh, that uh, at one point were in heavenly places, now have come down to planet Earth. Man-centered civilization is about to be destroyed, because a heaven-centered kingdom is at hand. Verse 3, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, meaning her idolatry. Meaning, we, I mean, we saw the Antichrist starting in chapter 13. So he's been on the scene for a while. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So here you have man-centered independence from God, combined with great wealth to pull it off. And this is the income gap. These are the one percenters. You know, sometimes people ask, why does God bless all of the evil, evil people with such riches? I mean, all the Epsteins of the world and all of the oligarchs in Russia and all of the drug lords in Latin America. Well, wait, why do you assume wealth is blessing? Why do you define wealth as blessing? Um, but second, these so-called blessings, these are from Satan and not from God. So this is our second point for study. Just because you have stuff, that don't mean God gave it. And since, since the devil is the one who can make you rich also, so it doesn't mean God gave it. So be careful with stuff. There are believers who are rich and, and that is great when they use it like 1 Timothy 6 talks about. But this world is laying in the lap of the evil one. So, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Now, if you are a parent, you understand that last verse. If you're a parent of an adolescent child, because, you know, in the adolescent mind, here's how you think. You think that since dad or mom or your parents or even God is not doing anything. I mean, you know it's wrong what you're doing, but you think since God's not doing anything, since they're not doing anything about it, well, it must not be that deep. But then one day you cross the line. And you cross the line so much. Has anybody in here ever, you ever crossed the line with your parents? I mean, you cross the line. And here's the dealio. As soon as you cross the line, they remembered all of the rest. Hello, somebody. I mean, all the stuff they had not addressed now becomes accumulated wrath. Oh, Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31 say, For we know God, who hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's mercy delays. But when God remembers, it's not pretty. So second, on the other hand, in saying, bye-bye, Babylon, 
Here's number two. We see that Babylon emits ungodly defiance in depraved activity. Verse six, reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. I mean, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. But if you're keeping score, I want you to know the third thing. This is number three. Babylon experiences great destruction from predestined annihilation. What is Babylon? Babylon is man-centered civilization boxing God out. And verse 8 says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judgeth her, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, verse 11, verse 11, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. So chapter 17 was judgment on the whore, on the religious system set up by Nimrod, followed by Nebuchadnezzar, existing today in the Roman imperial church and her children. Chapter 18 is judgment on Wall Street in a 9-11 style attack with worldwide economic collapse. So let the church say, bye-bye, Babylon. Because fourth, fourth, Babylon initiates a global depression with desolation assured. The cargo manifest, and I'm not going to read it, man, it's hard to digest. Verses 12 and 13, that's the cargo manifest, because it includes trafficking in slaves and the souls of humans. So verse 14 tells us, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. Throughout the Bible, we are warned against the intoxicating power of wealth. Because, you know, the problem is, the problem is when you mix wealth with depraved human nature, then the problem is you end up being able to finance all the corruption that you want to do. And the Bible doesn't, that's why the problem is not riches. The Bible does not condemn riches. There are many spiritual, wealthy people in the Bible and in life. There are saints whom God makes and made wealthy. And that is why money is not the root of evil. Watch, look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. So the more blessed you are, the more grateful you should be. I mean, we've all got, those of us who are believers, we have all got a flat tax to pay. It's called a tithe, 10% off the top, first fruits. You honor God that way. So, okay, the more blessed you are, the more grateful you should be in doing that. Not a grudging giver. The more grateful you are, the better worshiper you should be. Why? Because you have been blessed so much. But, but it is the wealth tied to Babylon which has caused these people to deny God be willing to take the mark of the beast and ultimately worship him. So, in verse 17, crypto crashes. Bitcoin, Bitcoin goes bust. The dollar disintegrates. People are jumping out of skyscrapers on Wall Street. In verse 21, there's no more joy. Celebration or backing it up in the club. 
In verse 22, there's a ransomware attack. So industry and productivity stop, and even manufacturing and food processing ceases, and all would be lost, except for what we see right now. In chapter 19, we turn a corner, but God turns on a spotlight, just in case you missed the signs. Look at verse 1, chapter 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. And Alleluia is made up of two words. Hallelujah means praise, and Yah is a concentrated form of the name Jehovah. So hallelujah is like the high point of praise. And let me hit you with this definition. Praise is your declaration of the glory, the greatness, the power, and the majesty of God. And that is why worship can be done silently, but praise has to be heard. I mean, worship can be done in your heart, but praise is tied in the Bible to your lips and to your limbs. What are the praise lyrics? Well, you're asking good questions this morning. Watch. There are four verses in this hymn of praise, four reasons to praise the Lord. First, letter A, the ultimate redemption of the saved. Verse 1, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And because they're doing it with a great voice of much people, their praise becomes preaching as well. See, that's why you ought to all join the praise, praise team. I mean, we ought to have so many people on praise team. We got we to gotta cycle so much. You can only, you know, once every two months, maybe you get up on the platform. And the other times you're leading praise from, from the congregation because, uh, you know, this is where we all ought to be at. We ought to all be preachers. Sometimes people ask me, should, should women be preachers? Everybody should be a preacher. Your kids should be preachers. I mean, we ought to be preaching as we praise. David says in Psalm 22, verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Why does God inhabit his people's praises? Because God is always present in the recognition of who he is. Even if it's only two or three, Jesus said. And God's ego is so big, he created you to praise him eternally. You know, a million people showed up at Union Station to praise our Royals for winning four baseball games. And a million people showed up at Union Station to praise our Chiefs for winning one football game. And that praise was expressed in sight and in sound. And you know how lost people are. They're depressed and messed up with guilt and shame and all of that, so it's hard for them to praise unless they can get, unless they can get a spirit inside, unless they can get something in that, their mouth that helps them a little bit. So, hey, you know, everybody's doing that type of thing down there. The Christian doesn't need that because we can be joyful and celebratory because we've got the, the Holy Spirit inside of us. But my point is, if you don't have a problem praising the sports stars for their accomplishments, then you better recognize God, who has created the universe, demands your immediate praise. And if you give praise to anything else, and you're acting like that thing that you praise did something, that's idolatry. But why does God deserve praise at this moment? Well, second, and this is letter B, because of the eternal repayment 
on sinners. That's another thing that is actually praiseworthy, verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, for that. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And if she ain't ever going to stop smoking, then her drama's over. I'm just saying. I mean, if she ain't ever going to stop smoking, her drama's done. Third stanza, let her see, hallelujah for the interdependent relationship among the saints. Verse 4, and the four and twenty elders, twelve representing God's children, Israel, twelve representing God's sons, the church, and the four beasts representing the angelic host fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him both small and great. The final verse of praise lyric in letter, this is letter D, is for the undeniable reign of our Savior. Verse six, and I heard as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings. I mean, there's revival for you. I mean, I, I wish God would give us that today. I wish God would just give us a thundercloud of the Spirit. Just going from heart to heart today. And they're saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And I want you to notice how they see him reigning. How do they know he is reigning? It is because of his judgment. Because things are being brought to right. Because innocents are being avenged. Because judgment runs down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. So when they see him reign, they they have to start singing the hallelujah chorus. And, And this hallelujah chorus is a call to worship for the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, a Jewish wedding always really started with the betrothal, and that was a very legally binding formal engagement made between the fathers. And so then, okay, that engagement was there, and the bride was still with her father, and the groom was still with his father, but while he's with his father, he's preparing at his father's house the place that they're going to live, and so that leads up to the moment that the bridegroom all of a sudden would appear. And they just had to be ready. He didn't announce it in advance. He and his, he and his attendants just showed up. And, 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 and then he would rapture his bride away to his father's house where he had prepared their home. And left behind were two sets of virgins and some had oil and some didn't. But I digress. So in John 14... Jesus says in verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine what a great interior decorator Jesus is? I mean, he's not building your place because in his Father's house are mansion upon mansion upon mansion, and yet it has to be prepared. So he's going to be the interior decorator just for your room. And I, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
So after the marriage was a wedding reception. The guests were invited to celebrate the marriage with a supper. Those wedding suppers lasted a long time by our standards. I mean, like five to seven days. Jesus' wedding supper will last a thousand years. It's called the millennium. We will see that in the next chapter. Look with me, though, in verse 7, chapter 19, verse 7. So let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Every spot is removed, every wrinkle ironed out. And now what happens, happens on earth, not up in the clouds someplace. And even when we get to eternity, this planet does not stop functioning. So if you die now, before the rapture, you go to heaven to be with Jesus when you die, but that is not your eternal resting place. See, here's our third point for study. God's people go to heaven to be prepared for subsequent action on earth, on this planet. And that corrected view of heaven and that corrected view of eternity should start to shape your view of your life down here. Verse 9, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those who are raptured, those who are resurrected, those of the tribulation remnant who are raptured at the very end. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. So at the judgment seat of Christ, we get our rewards. Our rewards are crowns to determine our responsibilities in verse 9. But we saw way back in about chapter 4 and 5 how we cast those crowns at Christ's feet. So when he comes back, he comes back with all of them. We fight as his army, and then he distributes them to us. And the millennium is the place where Jesus shows off his bride. So what are the signs of the times for the second coming? Number one, the rapture of the church off this planet. There are no signs for the rapture because the rapture is the first sign. Number two, the judgment seat of Christ, where every spot is removed and every wrinkle ironed out. Now, here's, here's, here's the problem. Some of you, some of you, some of you will be saved yet so as by fire, and you will get no rewards, although you're saved and with us. Oh, boo. Oh, boo, because you had your whole, this whole life to get discipled and become disciple, make disciples of Jesus. Number three, God being worshipped by angels and saints. That's another sign. And the final sign is this, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when those four signs are fulfilled, then after the marriage supper of the Lamb, you have the militant supper of the lion. Watch, verse 11, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Roman generals rode a white horse in their military triumph. And when these signs are fulfilled, 
Then there is the second coming. Watch verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns because he's king of kings and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the army is actually the lamb's wife from verse 8, that means it is you and it is me. And if you, even if you do not know how to ride a horse, you will then. <laughs> even if you don't own a pair of boots and spurs, you will then. And uh, that's why westerns were so popular in the 1900s, I guess. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What happens to all of the armies that the Antichrist assembles in the Valley of Armageddon to fight this returning Christ? Well, verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves. Gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and the flesh of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. See, in Matthew 27, when Jesus talks about this, Matthew 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, verse 27, he says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For whether, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. An eagle here is representative of any bird of prey that eats meat. So, verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his, his army. And the beast was taken. I mean, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like, you know, God, Jesus, Jesus takes care of it with the word of his mouth. That should say something to you about the importance of the word of God. And uh, doesn't even break a sweat. And so now the, the beast is taken with him, the false prophet that wrought, wrought miracles before him, with which he delivered, uh, deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were, were filled with their flesh. He defeats them with the word of his mouth and doesn't even break a sweat. And they're thrown alive into hell because there is no annihilation after death. So you don't stop existing. You stay alive in what the Bible calls in Revelation 20, the second death. And this is our final point for study. Jesus always destroys the enemy. He always defeats the enemy with the word out of his mouth. That is how Jesus defeated Satan who was tempting him in the wilderness. He replied to the devil with his word, with the word of God. And that is why biblical authority is so important. And that is why we teach from a King James Bible. I mean, you need to know where to find, as the book of Proverbs calls it, the certainty of the words of truth. And other translations don't even call it that. 
Not even the New King James. So you need to find out where you can find the certainty of the words of truth. And it's because people have left that and people do not have that or they do not know what they have that we are so demonically oppressed in this life. And so we leave the word of God, we get demonically oppressed, and then we turn to our own types of divination to try and solve demonic oppression. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, you can call on Congress all you want, but they are never going to be able to solve issues of the heart and human nature. Only the authority of the word of God will do that. You want to be free? Get in the Bible and get discipled. You want to walk in victory and abundance? You want to shake your psychological problems and even become master of your own flesh? You need the authority of the word of God defeating the enemy for you because the word of God will do the work. And here is how four important applications from Revelation I want, I want to leave you with because here is how that will happen. I want to make sure you see the Bible's principles that free you completely to serve him. So I give you these and then bid you good day. First letter A, the voice of Revelation tells us if anything is demonic in origin, it will be de destructive in outcome. We live in the day of the spirit of the world, 1 Corinthians 2, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians 2, and the spirit of error, 1 John chapter 4. And we've seen all three of those spirits at work all over the last year and more. So second, letter B, the voice of revival tells us, if your hope is built on Babylon, come out. In Romans 16 and 2 Corinthians 6, the church is told to come out from that which is ungodly, lest she become stuck and caged within that system. So Christian people, listen. You cannot be a good kid caught up with bad friends. You just can't. You'll receive the same consequences. Letter C, the voice of regret tells us, if your focus is on envying Babylon, you need to look out. The devil will always take advantage of your lusts, as we saw in chapter 18, verse 14, and then use your envy to enslave you. So you know what? Here's what I think. I think sometimes you've got to talk dirty to the devil. Uh, yes, you do. I think sometimes you've got to trash talk to the devil. You've got to say, hey, devil, look at what I got that you don't got. Look at what I have that your people don't have. You need to come out of her. Do not envy her. And fourth, letter D, the voice of rejoicing tells us if your joy is centered on Babylon, you need to climb out. When you're swallowed by sorrow, you may not be able to rejoice, but you can rejoice over it. And when you are swamped with stress, you may not be able to rejoice, but you can rejoice over it. And when you crawl out and you climb out and you get over and not under, you can rejoice over anything taking place. Go ahead and stand and bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed as you stand with us today. Do you know where your eternity stands? Are you in Babylon or out? Are you envious of Babylon, jealous for, the, for, for things in Babylon? Or are you jealous for the name of God? 
Is your joy built on Babylon? Or are you soaring over Babylon and rejoicing in the Lord as your strength and showing that through praise? If Jesus came today, would you be left behind? Is the rapture your greatest delight or your biggest dread? Why don't you get that settled and get saved today? Will you just pray with me right now? All you have to do is pray. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, God, I know that you love me. And I know how much you love me because your love required the expression of your wrath for my sin on your own son. That's the only way it will keep from falling on me. So God, give me eternal life right now as I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust in his finished work for me on the cross. And by faith through this prayer, I open my heart to the Holy Spirit. Forgive me and cleanse me. And then walk with me for Jesus' sake, who is so worthy. Amen. Did you ask him? If you asked him, then thank him. But also come up here and let us know. We're going to sing, we're going to sing one song to dismiss because I want you to go out and that type of celebration. But come up here and let us know, even, even while they're singing. Let us know so we can rejoice with you and tell you how to grow in your faith and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next Sunday is the most important sermon out of the book of Romans yet. And you know I don't cry wolf, so next, next Sunday is a major sermonology event. But if you've accepted Christ and you've not yet gone all in by proclaiming that through baptism, then come forward as we sing or afterwards. If you want to become a member of our church family by transfer a letter or statement of faith, come forward. If you want to be discipled, do you have any other need for spiritual help or assistance, come to the front, let us know. I want to make sure that you know that this altar is open. You can come up while they're singing. You can come up here to the front and pray. Any of the seats here at the front, you can kneel and pray. But I also want us to go out rejoicing. So Brandon, will you lead us in a hymn as we end?